Welcome to Pivotal. I'm Hayat Gallo, Corporate Vice President for Commercial Solution Areas at Microsoft. I work with customers around the globe to transform their business through technology. At the center of every transformation are people who give technology its purpose. They are the ones who spark visionary ideas for leveraging technology, and they have the drive to push them forward for their business while empowering others. We like to talk about technology. I love to talk about it. And we often forget the heroes behind technology and transformations. You, we forget you. And that's what I want to talk about through Pivotal. Through the first 11 episodes of Pivotal, we've met a few of these incredible individuals from around the world. And through their stories, they are giving us important insights on how to successfully drive technology adoption and change. In my experience, change is never easy. It requires both a compelling vision of what technology can help people achieve, the right approach to build it, test it, and get people to use it. Today, I'm looking back through the season and bring some of the most important lessons that stood out for me. One of the things I wanted to do with Pivotal is to focus on the human element of technology change. Many of our guests were the driving forces behind a transformation. In one common thread was they always designed their solution with humans at the center. They were very clear on what exact problem they were solving for, and their purpose for using technology was often rooted by a desire to make that human impact. For instance, at IKEA, we met Nadia Sotoure, a restaurant worker who wanted to fix how cumbersome the process of scheduling shifts was for co-workers in the store. The idea came from maybe a core in myself where I always been this kind of person where I want to find better ways to be more efficient, see more productivity. And I saw that uh, we had so many different systems that didn't work together. The three main systems that we had was a program where we create the schedules. Then we had a separate program where we put up open shifts for co-workers to take extra shift if there was some sickness or parental leave or something like that. And then the third system where you clock in, clock out. Nadia gave us a great example of the first ingredient for success. The most compelling reasons for adopting new technology are often human-centered. It's interesting to see across all customers usually starts with technology being used to save money or people getting excited about innovation. But the most successful adoptions are actually grounded in creating a positive human impact. We learned from Dr. Lillian Pintea at the Jane Goodall Institute how technology helped them activate local villages in Tanzania to support conservation efforts in the hills around Gombe National Park What we realized by working all these years with local communities and decision makers is that in order for people to change their behavior, we need to connect our amazing minds with our compassion hearts. We need to have a seat and it shouldn't be driven by science. It should be driven by the people themselves and they should own. They shouldn't be just engaged. They should actually own and drive decisions about their own livelihoods and about their landscapes where science and technology is presented as tools, as input, and it creates a space where communities, government officials, decision makers have a chance to have a dialogue. 
they have a chance to trust it, they have a chance to engage it. And when these conditions are happening, the power of technology is, and, and, the, and the capacity of science and knowledge can be truly unlocked. Dr. Pintea showed us that when the local village saw how conservation could positively impact their communities, it was then much easier to bring them on board. In this case, technology empowered the local communities. It gave them agency. And conservation efforts that are community-led are most likely to be sustained. If you want change to be sustained, you have to have your humans embracing that change. And in this case, because they are, you know that in the long run, it will continue. So you have a strong motivation to adopt new technology. But what exactly do you build? This brings me to the second ingredient for success, being rigorous in understanding your audience and your customers. Doing this will increase the chance of building the right solution that people will actually adopt. And if you don't do this, your technology may seem cool at first, but it will never catch on in the market. The history of tech is littered with failures like this. In our GenPact episode, Jenny Giacomelli talked about using data from Viva Insights to understand workers within organization and how they interacted. This helped design better solutions for making work relationships stronger. Now, weak ties are the people around you that you bump into periodically. The importance of those ties is now very well understood, is incredible. It helps individuals prosper, be more effective in what they're trying to do, especially when they are in, I wouldn't call it just innovation jobs, but in problem, complex problem solving. You really want to have a lot of weak ties because the weak ties bring novelty to you. They bring diversity of thinking. You bounce off ideas, you learn about things from the larger enterprise network. So they literally are a part of what I call, we call at MIT, a supermind. So the supermind is built around you and those weak ties are really a big part of your brain. In situations like COVID-19, those ties dwindle. Almost like, um, again, I'm dating myself, but uh, we used to have graphic equalizers on our high fidelity. You remember the stereo thing? I don't know, probably our kids don't do that anymore. But and you want to boost part of the signal. In this case, you really want to boost the weak ties of the signal. You want people to connect when they are weak ties to each other. And so the network analysis allows us to identify the pairs of people who are weak ties to each other. And this sounds intuitive, but when you're talking about a 100,000 people company, well, it's a big table. <laughs> and it's so important to think about the signals you're getting and the data inputs you're getting and how you decipher them. Because no human is equal, but usually you'll find patterns that can inform how you build a product. But not everyone is set up with access to that kind of data. And that's okay. Sometimes it is just about asking the right questions to the right people. Ahmed Mahemid, a regional ICT director for SOS Children's Villages, described their process for designing and testing their Arafiki app, an AI-powered personal assistant that gives parenting and childcare advice. So the reality check for us was, we'll take the end product, we will go to a small sample of our potential users, 
and then we are going to train them and then we're going to test how is their feedback. And it was quite heartwarming to see that community as well as many other communities where we invited them to be part of this reality check. Everyone was super positive. And even at some stage, they're just like, no, come on, we need more knowledge. I mean, like we've exhausted already all those things. We need other areas. Now we have taken that positive feedback to the two parties, to our software development team, as well as to our content development team. And they're just like, guys, this is the feedback as technicians and as software developers. Uh, they were facing this and this and this. They need this to improve into the interface. And the other side, I mean, like for the content contributors, we're just like, guys, there is a quiet need on those areas. Please inject more content. Go back work more on this content and those are additional areas that have been more prioritized than the other part. Now, with this approach, I mean, like, we managed to build a very nice product that serves the end users because sometimes when you are far away from your end of your end users, you may end up by designing something from your own perspective and then they would look at it and they were just like, well, it's good, but this is not what I need. And this is here where we have been making sure that the users have been constantly put on the center of this project. It took them quite some time to do the research, ask the right questions, and consult the right stakeholder to build this app. But the time they spent to understand their audience was extremely valuable. It led them to design an app that was so easy and helpful to use that they've deployed it in Kenya, Namibia, Malawi, Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Italy. And Ahmed regularly gets requests from SOS country directors to expand the app to their country as soon as possible. On to the third ingredient for success, finding champions. Like any change, when you implement new technology, you'll likely face resistance. People fear what they don't know and new technology can often create uncertainty. Questions rapidly sprout on how they will be using that technology or how their jobs may be impacted by that technology. This is where champions come in. They will help you convince others to try the tech. They are the people with credibility in the community who have the social capital to get others to adopt. If they endorse your solution and become early adopters, this will pave a much easier path for everyone else. One thing I loved hearing from our guests is just how important champions were for their technology ambitions. For Sally Vanderit at St. Lucie Public Schools, those champions were the teachers and principal who first tried PowerTomate to fill out state-mandated reporting forms during COVID. We have over 40 schools, and in a normal year, I might be supporting 10 of those schools. For this system, I had to be in contact with some representative, an assistant principal or a principal at every location. And a lot of the approvals were coming from me or little thank you notes from me. And they got used to me being in the inbox. And then when they did have a question, they could come directly to me. So those relationships were forged in that first year. And even now, this week, they know the system's going to be rolled out again soon. And I've been getting some emails from those principals saying, hey, are we doing this again? I'm going to need this year's link. I'm so excited to share it with everyone. So those relationships were absolutely forged in that desperate, necessary time. And now I'm really grateful for that. For Sally, the COVID pandemic was when she forged all of her relationship with her champions in each school. The technology services that she drove during the pandemic were critical for them and led those champions to trust her. In turn, she can now trust these champions to help her scale new initiatives. 
Champions also played a huge role at REI. They are a mission-driven organization, and their business of selling outdoor recreation equipment is closely tied to sustainability and protecting the planet. Kate Wendt, who leads strategy transformation and sustainability at REI, realized that if they were going to make their supply chain more sustainable, merchants were the critical champions she needed. After all, REI's merchants were the ones responsible for sourcing all of their retail products. So merchants being largely our buyers, you know, who decides what goes in an REI store um, or online? Uh, those are our merchant teams. They have a lot of power in a retail organization. And, you know, I think for a long time, you know, they had been largely trained on what their important metrics were, were things like inventory turn and margin and sales and those kind of things. And really sustainability was something that was, sure, I get that, but that's kind of off to the side, like that might be bonus points. And we really did a lot of work with that organization to create them as internal champions of those putting our sustainability metrics and expectations. We now score all of our brands based on that product impact standards and questionnaire. And they are actually prioritizing vendors and products that meet those attributes. And so they're actually become our greatest champions. And I think for a lot of them, that's really brought so much meaning into their work. It's not just, hey, I work for REI as an umbrella, right? And therefore, <laughs> you know, I have the green halo. No, I am actually through the work that I am doing. I am helping drive and actually move the needle across the industry on sustainability. And it's interesting, you can't fake champions. They have to believe. They have to believe that they're having an impact. And in return, they'll drive it for you. Your vision, the change you're trying to drive. And without champions, it is very hard to get broad adoption of your plans and your technology. So, a new technology idea is implemented successfully. What's next? Technology is rarely a one-time deal. Things change, requirements evolve, users have more needs, more expectations, more problems turn up for you to solve, and the technology landscape evolves. And by the way, your competition may catch up. That's why it's smart to use that initial success to create a deeper culture of innovation and experimentation. That is the fourth ingredient, implementing that tight feedback loop to constantly iterate and stay connected to your audience where you're trying to serve with your technology. Technology adoption is most successful if this is supported from the bottom up and if people see the impact and start believing, and then you can harness their enthusiasm to do more. We saw from multiple instances in this podcast that great ideas can come from any level within an organization, from frontline workers to the boardroom. One person who understood this was Valérie Beaulieu, the chief marketing and sales officer at ADECO Group. ADECO is in a very traditional industry, HR, but ADECO is driving an entire transformation in how they approach talent sourcing, and it involves our entire company being committed to pursuing an innovative culture. Our clients were telling us come on, you're still doing it like in the old days with pen and paper. So there was a lot of expectation that we would be more tuned to our time. And as I share with my team, the point is that we're not necessarily compared with other companies in the HR industry. We are compared to the daily experience of our clients as consumers. And so as you are used to do your shopping online, your banking online, you expect to have your experience with your 
suppliers, partners, and partners for career as well to be as easy as a, a, a thumb away on your phone. So I think this was a this was a realization, a collective realization, because I don't want to take the credit for myself. It was very much a team effort that we needed to really embrace how technology could help us move to the next level and really be attuned to the expectation of uh, of our stakeholders at large. For me, this one is a fantastic example. Who would expect from an HR company that they would simulate a forklift so that people could train faster and be available and that they could source talent for their companies? How would you expect an HR company to be working on digital twins to build prototypes? You don't expect it. But this is how ADECO is evolving to serve their clients. By the way, clients who sometimes don't know that they have those new needs. And we can't underestimate the ability of people from within the organization to create the solution, especially if they're empowered with a strong mission and anchored to experiment. Microsoft Chief Accessibility Officer Jenny LeFleury showed us what a company-wide commitment to accessibility can spark especially when engineers with disabilities were empowered to design for it rather than hide it. Most of our technologies are being built by our employees with disabilities in some form or fashion. In Microsoft Teams, there is a hand raise function that came from a neurodiverse engineer. In Windows 11 coming out this fall, we have live captioning, which is basically captioning available online and offline right there on your screen that came and, and was kickstarted by one of our deaf engineers. Mouse pointer is another one that we're really pursuing at the moment for our low vision. That again came from low vision folks, some of them on my team. And so when you have talent with disabilities, you're quite simply going to create better stuff. Again, captioning isn't just for cool deaf people. The benefits are for everyone. So it's really incumbent on everyone to explore how are you opening doors to disabled talent and how are you closing them? It takes one person to create that spark, but many to light up a path to the future. Our podcast guests saw the opportunity and generated that momentum for innovation within their organization. And that's when you make that step function chain. That's when you really transform. The last ingredient for success is to have a few true technologists on the team. These are the people who are following the latest tech trends and thinking ahead on what the organization should adopt next. The reality is technology evolves quickly. So it's so important for all of us to never delay adopting technology until a compelling event forces us to. Those events will happen, whether it is a competitor, a natural disaster, a security threat. For instance, Zero Trust was a concept that was developed after hackers became increasingly sophisticated at social engineering and how they were finding backdoors through employees. Richard Sneed, the chief of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, told us of his tribe's experience of having their on-prem IT system being hacked by Russian cyber criminals through an employee. The hackers locked up their data for a big ransom. They ended up losing most of their data, and they nearly ended up losing their heritage. Can you imagine? So it was a tough lesson for them, and they learned the benefit of migrating to the cloud. The way we were set up before is pretty much how 
every network was set up prior to the cloud even becoming available, which was uh, everything on site. And we build our perimeter through firewalls. And essentially, our mindset and ideology is we're going to keep all the bad actors out. And that works all fine, good and well, unless you have a bad actor internally, which is what happened with us. We had a few departments that had uh, some of their data in the cloud. Uh, those were the only programs that didn't lose any data at all. And now everything is in the cloud. And so we've gone completely the other way. Everything is in the cloud. We have attained zero trust. We have multi-factor authentication within our IT department. Previously, everyone who worked in IT had full administrator privileges. So literally everybody had keys to the kingdom, which back then made sense. Right? If you had a problem, you could call anybody in IT and they could assist you. Now, every, everything, absolutely everything is channeled through the help desk and then, you know, uh, job tickets are created and then they go to the appropriate personnel. And then those personnel have to level up in their security clearance and they only get access to the one thing that they're working on. And that's it. And once that task is completed, their, their, their level up is now downgraded back to just they don't have access. The silver lining is that now Chief Sneed is an evangelist for the cloud, and he actively encourages other tribal leaders to migrate their systems to the cloud. But the things often go right as well, and we don't give the early adopters enough credit. So I want to end with a positive example. In our Teams for Tech episode, we make Théophile Abillambert, who runs the Gashora Girls Academy of Science and Technology in Rwanda. He led the schools to become early adopters of Microsoft Office and Microsoft Teams. They train all of their teachers on how to teach lessons and communicate with students through these productivity tools starting in 2016. Theophil's foresight became a huge advantage when the COVID hit. His school switched to remote learning seamlessly as many other schools in Rwanda struggled. When COVID hit, that's when everyone saw the importance of all those changes that happened. I'm telling you, everyone was like, you guys, it's as if you knew COVID was going to come. <laughs> because by the time COVID hit, for us, the transition was really smooth. I remember we closed in March, 2020. We spent around seven to nine months at home, but our classes did not stop because students had access. The only issue was about uh, some families which could not afford, you know, having, let's say, smartphones or the computers. But we tried our best to find out from all the families. And those who did not have uh, devices, we tried to uh, sponsor them. So we're sending them even uh, monthly internet bundles. Yeah, we did not want anyone to just stay behind. Yeah, but everyone was like, guys, it's as if you knew that COVID was going to, to come. Yeah, it helped us so much because all the information, you know, that was after, after three years, right? Because we started 2017, then 2020. So every teacher had digitized, you know, their notes. So everything was ready on Teams, yeah. Their success led Rwanda's Ministry of Education to recruit Geshora Girls Academy to train hundreds of teachers at other schools. And there is a snowball effect. Those teachers are then training thousands of other teachers. This is the power of network effect. And when you have people embracing the technology, loving the technology, then they'll get others to adopt it. And think here, this 
had the network effect to impact the entire country of Rwanda. This has been such a treat to do this podcast. I remember discussing the framing of podcasts with my team and what it was going to be about. And for me, it had to be about the humans who drive that pivotal change and positive impact. I wanted to get in their heads. Who are they? What makes them different? How do they think? What is unique in the way they approach challenges? Wow, did I learn a lot through those engagements. It made me pause in my own day today. It made me think about the lesson that each of those guests shared. Was I doing enough on being human-centric in my own approach? Did I take the time to really understand the needs before jumping into a conclusion? Was I enabling a culture of experimentation in my own organization? What impact was I really having? I hope this podcast gave you the space to reflect as well and get inspired by our amazing guest. We are taking a break, but we will return in the fall with more stories to share of leaders who are sparking a pivotal change with technology in their organization and in their communities. These stories are so important to tell, and they can give us so many lessons that can be inspiring, shared, and scaled. So stay tuned, and thank you for listening to Pivotal.